and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. Tim, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Mark Prince, who is the SVP and head of economic empowerment at Dentsu Media. First question, what does the head of economic empowerment focus on? Yeah, yeah, that was my first question for Mark too. Um, It's basically like Mark's uh, team is charged with ensuring that Dentsu Media is seeking out opportunities for its clients to be advertising with minority-owned media companies. Um, that's really the you know crux of it. Dentsu Media, like others, have made commitments to support minority-owned media companies, um, black-owned you know, media companies, but others as well. And so Mark's team is basically charged with making sure that the agency and its clients follow through on that commitment. So one of our colleagues, Sarah Guaglioni, she recently kind of covered a story on this where the impacts to the economy, of course, is starting to impact advertising spend. And that has had a kind of knockdown effect to minority-owned media companies, right? So I'm curious if he got into that at all, if the recent kind of economic struggles have caused, you know, impacts to his mission of trying to get advertising dollars into the hands of minority-owned media companies. Yeah, we talk about that because um, it's obviously a very important question. Um, and he, he says that's exactly what they're trying to do. Um, he says the usual caveats of situations are going to vary from client to client. Impacts are going to vary. How they respond to those impacts varies. But he talks about how, you know, one thing that Dentsu Media did last year, so before the economic downturn um, started, was to adopt a policy of 30-day payment windows for minority-owned media companies. Um, Basically, if they or a client is doing a deal with a minority-owned media company, they will pay that media company within you know thirty days of that deal being completed, um, as opposed to um, in other cases where like you have some advertisers, what they'll take four months before they pay a media company. And for a lot of these minority-owned media companies, they can't necessarily sit on IOUs for four months. They have businesses they need to run. Um, and so that's one thing that Dentsu's doing. And then we also talk about how, you know, starting after Labor Day, budget planning season for marketers for 2023. And so uh, one thing that he and his team are, you know, tasked with is making sure that in that budget planning process, there is dollars allocated for minority-owned media companies because it's a lot easier to make sure that the money is earmarked ahead of time as opposed to trying to find it throughout the year. And so that's going to be one of the things that Mark and his team work on in September and October timeframe. All right. Well, I'll let you get into it with Mark. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Caleb. Mark Prince, welcome to the JJ Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, Mark, you had the economic empowerment team at Dentsu, and this isn't you know a common label for a team. It's not like the video investment team or the social strategy team, but uh, your team's basically in charge of overseeing the pipeline of ad dollars from Dentsu clients to minority-owned media companies, clearing up clogs, making sure the money's flowing to these media companies that often get overlooked or 
underinvested in by advertisers. Is that a fair description? Anything you want to correct there? Yeah, no, that's a fair description. And we really look at economic empowerment here at Dentsu as a practice, to your point, like you talked about the other teams that are inside internally. So, you know, we're really increasing the business opportunities and creating more opportunities for our Black-owned and diverse-owned vendors that will really result in both buys and contracts. And as a part of that, you know, we're guiding our internal investments and strategy teams to make sure that we have the framework that really fosters the inclusion of our diverse zone outlets, working hard to remove the barriers that have long existed, depending on uh, the type of media uh, that we're working with in this space, you know, and also making sure that our diverse zone vendors are heard, that have that access, that their voices are really listened to. You know, in this industry, we do a lot of talking. Sometimes we need to do a little more listening, but it's really about building a bigger ecosystem, you know, of Black and diverse owned partners that can really tap into the changing demographics of this country. Got it. And so when you joined Dentsu in, well, they announced your hire in May 2021, you know, part of that was you were going to come in and build this economic empowerment team. What's the size of the team at this point? So we have multiple members on the team, you know, working with uh different leads in the individual strategy and planning groups. I have staff, you know, under me as well. Um, and it's something that's continuing to grow because the great thing is the need is great. Um, and people are really leaned in to this now. When I started this part of my career, a lot of my time was spent explaining to people why we should be doing this. Why was this important? In the last couple of years, that's really changed. There's less of those conversations now. Clients really want to know more. How do we do it and how do we do it correctly? And that's a big shift in the industry um, from a couple of years ago. I, I, I have a, a, I'd be considered a veteran now um, in this industry. So I've, I've had a few years in here, but that's what makes it exciting, you know, because now people are really leaning in um, and want to do good work and create more opportunities. Got it. And as you mentioned, you know, you described this as a practice. So in practice, how does the economic empowerment team work with the other teams, like, you know, specifically the investment teams within Dentsu to make sure that, you know, the money is going, or at least there's the opportunity for the money to be going. And then, you know, from establishing that opportunity, then ensuring the money is going to minority owned media companies. Yeah. So the economic empowerment group actually sits within the investment team. And it was really important that we had a seat at that table to your point where the dollars are being allocated, you know, and where they're being, um, you know, sent to. Uh, but at the same time, this practice, you have to touch all different points. You know, a lot of times the decisions of purchase may fall on the investment team. But there's a whole nother group of people that you have to talk to, both the strategy side, the data side, the client side as well. So our team works with different contacts across all those teams because it needs to be a uniform message and people need to be in sync from the client side all the way to the point of investment so that everyone's on the same page and that we're properly evaluating the opportunities, giving our vendors the proper um, audience um, and the proper feedback to work forward so that as we're doing more sponsorships and purchasing more things, you know, we're increasing representation, you know, we're building communities. And quite honestly, one of the big goals of my group is ultimately to build wealth. This is a very lucrative industry. And I remember when BET was minority owned and it got sold, there was a lot of frustration in the community about it being sold. My bigger issue wasn't so much that it was sold, is that there wasn't another group of 
partners behind, you know, to be able to purchase. And that's one of the things that we're laser focused on is increasing, you know, some of our larger, bigger vendors, making them bigger, our small and medium big vendors, making them larger as well, so that we have a number of options in this ecosystem. What specifically are you doing on those ends to make those vendors, those publishers bigger, ensure they have enough inventory available? And so one of the pieces that we work on, it hasn't really been something that's been part of the advertising world. My background was a broadcast buying director for the first half of my career. So a lot of times as I was, as I was a buyer, you know, as the expectation was, you brought me the package, I let you know if it worked, you either made it or you didn't. You know, business development is a key part of this solution. Uh, and that can manifest itself in many different ways. In some cases, it may be two medium partners that we see have complementary um, services, you know, and suggesting that they get together to form maybe a bigger co coalition. If it's a smaller media vendor, it could be input from, you know, helping with the sales presentation, you know, suggesting tools that could enhance, you know, their audience or their offering. So there's many different ways with that. But I think it's important because, you know, on this side, we really have to lean in more to that in order to build, you know, more of those opportunities moving forward. And for that, like the consultative work that you do with a media company, do you charge the media company for that work? No, that's part of what we do as a practice. And that's part of our mission. You know, we want our current partners and potential partners to be successful. So whatever tools and resources as a holding company of Dentsu size that we have that we can utilize and help lean in, we're willing and happy, you know, to provide those services. Because at the end, that's going to make them stronger partners. That's going to give us more opportunities to purchase things. And that's going to give our clients more opportunities to tap into those rich audiences. Got it. And can you you know, talk a bit about like those opportunities or how, you know, things ladder to those opportunities. Cause I think like, you know, the work you all are doing in other agencies and, you know, there's also organizations like group black that are doing a lot of work to ensure black owned media companies, other minority owned media companies are getting their fair shake at the table when it comes to advertisers. And a lot of it is, well, this is the right thing to do. This is a necessary thing to do. This is something that really historically hasn't been done, or at least not to certainly the level it should have. But this is also capitalism we're talking about. It's the advertising industry. And I think also like it's helpful to understand the financial incentives in these cases, because generally then that is what will lead to this work being sustained and reinforce the work over time. So what are the financial incentives here for Dentsu to be doing the work you're doing with the ec economic empowerment team? Well, really, it, look at the way the country's going. So if you look at the demographics of the country, it's becoming browner. It's becoming more majority minority in a lot of cases. And that's where a lot of the growth opportunities for many clients are going to be in the future. So we really need to tap into that. We want to be tapped into that. And we want to work with the partners that have that experience, you know, and have those insights into those audiences. You know, if you go back to, if you remember the days of total market, um, when that was a thing, and in theory, it was supposed to capture everything. Um, and in theory, any sort of agency could have been the lead on total market. It didn't quite work out that way, um, as a lot of people saw, you know, when they and when they implemented the practice. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with having a niche, a niche approach. Um, to certain things and focusing on the different target audiences and the different segments for what they can offer, you know, and for what they can provide. So, you know, when you say financial interest, it's more about a business interest 
for what our clients are trying to do to expand their businesses, to increase their consumers, to secure even more brand loyalty. I think that's a big piece that doesn't get spoken about a lot of times um, in the multicultural and diverse zone world. If you can get those consumers early on, get that connection, get that brand loyalty, you've got consumers for life. And that's what many brands and many companies are looking for right now. Got it. And with that, like you mentioned the business interest, you know, you've been at this for more than a year now at Dentsu. What have you been able to uncover in terms of how and money going towards minority owned media companies, what that does for a client in terms of incremental reach or even, you know, perform, you know, all the way down to product sales? To what extent have you been able to like really lay out for clients if you put a dollar towards minority-owned media, this is the kind of thing you can expect to get as a result of that. You know, those are some of the models that we are continuing to build. You know, at this point, as we're expanding the number of partners that we're using, you know, in some cases, they're new to the agency or the network, you know, so we're still assessing that. But we're also looking at things like brand intent, looking at brand lift studies, because one thing is, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, the challenges of measurement that have existed with minority-owned media, whether it's the cost of being able to afford it, even if you are able to afford it, is it yielding the results, you know, that really justify the cost for that? So the, you know, the old model of low CPM, you know, and mass reach were really the only two entry points that a lot of people could come in. It's good to see that is changing now. And so that's why we're looking at different metrics and different ways of looking at things. So like for one of the programs that we've been working with uh, more than that with Gia Peppers, which is an audio series uh, that we created. Um, that utilized a Black-owned supply chain. It also utilized Black-owned distribution platforms and actually partners who were technically competitors, but worked together under the umbrella because they saw the greater good of doing something uh, larger. And as we got some of our brand lift studies back, you know, we saw things like more positive attributes, um, increases in intention, um, increases in respect, because with Gia Peppers, who's a, who's a wonderful host, talked about issues that were very germane to the African-American community, which some might find as hot topics, you know, if you talk about a brand safety lens, but these are what were important to um, the community. And some of the feedback that we got was that they were surprised that brands would surround themselves, you know, with that content and were willing to lean in, you know, to that conversation, thus that raised other key brand points that were important. So we're looking at different models as well, you know, to get that, you know, if you're doing something that's point of sale and you have the creative that matches that, you know, we want to build that as well. But people are seeing, you know, just the respect that's being given now more so um, to partners that really didn't feel that they had it. I was surprised having been a broadcast buying director when I stepped into this part of the business years ago. Um, the difficulty uh, vendors had being seen, being heard, and some of the frustration, you know, that generated. So having the real opportunity to pitch, you know, and in cases where they're getting purchased, you know, clients are seeing that they're hearing from the vendors as well, and it's creating opportunities to build bigger things. And that measurement challenge, it seems like that kind of boils down to, in some cases, these media companies are not big enough to necessarily be counted by a comp score or, you know, they may be big enough for, you know, Nielsen to count them, but then Nielsen, I mean, Nielsen doesn't, you know, 
do its measurement for free. And so they don't want to give that percentage of their revenue or they don't feel like they can afford to give that percentage of their revenue up for measurement because they have employees they need to yes. take care of mm-hmm. or they have other parts of their businesses that need investment. Maybe you know they haven't yet invested fully in programmatic and they feel like that money may be better served there. Are those the two biggest impediments at the moment? Either they're not big enough or that just the financials of measurement don't make as much sense or are too big of an ask for these media companies? Those are two of the biggest things that I've seen, you know, over the years, you know, accurate measurement and proper measurement. And I know Nielsen is trying to work on different things and create some different models, you know, with that. Then to your point, the size, sometimes it doesn't register, which is why we have to look at different other ways to measure, you know, in order to support that, because it's really just not acceptable to say you don't have these two or three metrics. Sorry, we're not going to be able, uh, you know, to utilize your outlet. You know, they still serve their audiences. They provide a unique perspective and doing something different. One thing in the measurement piece that Dentsu's really been leaning in on and I'm excited about is the work that we're doing around the attention economy. You know, there's studies out right now that uh, consumers get, you know, 4,000 messages, you know, in one given day. Uh, so constantly being bombarded. So even though we're working off in an impressions-based model, we're really trying to move to more towards, you know, what's the effectiveness? What is really resonating, you know, with the consumers? And if there's a way we can create that metric and monetize that, I think that will offer a different measurement option, you know, not just for diverse media, but for the industry as a whole. But I think it's particularly important for Black and diverse on media because that will be tied to the engagement. And as I you know, mentioned before, when you get those audiences locked and loaded and have that real connection, the engagement will be off the chart and it could really open up a new wave of revenue if you know when we're able to measure off of that. So we're working with some companies and some research teams because this is an area that we really want to push forward on uh, and, and make some changes. That attention metric, would that be proprietary to Dentsu? Um, it's something we're, we're working on, but, you know, I, I think you'll hear it, you know, talked about more in the industry as well. Got it. Okay. Because I, I feel like, you know, something like that as, you know, you laid out a good case for it, but I think the like a case against it, and there's a whole measurement <laughs> overhaul going on right exactly. now, but it's just like the need for universal support of these measurements. And so like, I know the push pull in TV advertising, and you would know this better than I do being at Dentsu, um, but is like, okay, do advertisers shift away from Nielsen, but Nielsen already kind of has that ubiquity? Or will these alternative measurement providers be able to get to a certain level of ubiquity for it to make sense? Because, you know, effectively, it seems like advertisers just want to be able to have measurements that work across all media properties, so then they can evaluate them all equally. And so it feels like that's a similar challenge here where, come up with, you know, these alternative measurements that are better suited or, you know, maybe easier for these minority owned media companies to adopt. But if they're kind of separate measurements, does that put them at some disadvantage if the, you know, Facebooks and Googles and the BuzzFeeds of the world are being judged based on, you know, more established, you know, third party measurement providers like a Comscore or Nielsen? I think it's twofold because the attention economy is something that we would want to have all partners, you know, measured off of. So it would provide that consistency. But also in this particular space, it's okay to have some niche items, you know, everything isn't one size fits all. And it's incumbent upon us, you know, as professionals in the advertising industry to make that work and make that as simple as possible, you know, for our clients. I remember years ago, I was working on a very large newspaper network buy 
And it was being compared against the CPM of a New York Times. Well, I said, well, we can stop having this conversation right away because this group is not built that way. That's not how their audience is set up. And so they're never going to be able to get to that type of comparison. Here's what we're really buying them for. This is what we want to get out. And so that's one of the things that my team spends a lot of time with, you know, is working on custom parameters at times, whether it be within the buying parameters of the brand brief, so that the metrics are setting everyone up for success, you know, where the partner is going to be successful, and the client also has hard metrics that they can look at. What's that conversation like in terms of, you know, how to properly value the inventory from these minority-owned media companies? Uh, Our media editor, Kaylee Barber, did a story, I believe it was last year, uh, where she talked with some Black-owned publishers. And one of them, I think it was Gal Dem, you know, said that they had this experience where they were talking with an agency about, I think, like the agency's, you know, multicultural marketplace. Um, and Gal, the agency told Gal Dem that their CPMs were too high and asked them to lower their CPMs. And Gal Dem responded, well, now you're making me lower my CPMs beyond what even, like, my white-owned comps would be. And it feels like that becomes a push-pull, too, of, okay, how to find the right price for these minority-owned media companies, but then not put them at a disadvantage or be asking them to lower their, like, you know, in some cases, maybe they're being asked to lower their prices so that they are able to compete for ad dollars, but at the same time, like, are then they risk lower them so much that they're devaluing themselves. Yeah, that that's a complicated issue with several tentacles because on the one point, they can't get to the point where they have to sell so low that they can't stay in business, you know, and so then that defeats the purpose of everything that we're trying, you know, we're trying to do. I think you have to look at it um, primarily from a size perspective. There are some larger partners that can work with some of the more standard you know, pricing metrics and pricing models, you know, because they've also got the scale, you know, and the size, you know, that's another area where you're seeing people like Group Black, you know, I think Hero Media just announced, you know, their collective as well, trying to come up with some of those larger solutions, um, you know, as well to help, uh, to help have bigger scale, you know, with some of that. But then I think you should also look at the consideration set, perhaps, of what you're buying. And sometimes it's creating that universe of like-minded partners in that particular space to then determine, okay, maybe this is what the pricing model should be based upon this set versus trying to always go for that mass reach, low CPM, you know, that's the barometer. Now, yes, our clients want the most efficient purchases, you know, that we can have. And we totally, totally understand that. But that's where we get into some of the granular stuff about, you know, what are you trying, what are you trying to accomplish? What is the campaign trying to do? And then does this really fit, you know, with that mold? And if it doesn't fit that mold, create the parameters, you know, that will make that work. And a lot of times people here adjusting parameters, they equate it with lowering standards. And I have a big issue with that because that's not what we're saying. It's just literally putting together the right parameters that work for what you're trying to do. And one expression of kind of like pulling together like partners has been these multicultural marketplaces that a number of agencies have stood up in the past year or two. But, you know, one um, area in which the black owned publishers have pushed back on those is, well, now I'm not even competing for the pie or for my own slice of the pie. I'm competing for a slice of a slice, a piece of, you know, this, you know, smaller slice of the pie. 
and that they would rather be working more directly with advertisers themselves being able to compete for the fuller budgets. What's What are you all doing to get these publishers in a place where they are competing for the fuller budgets as opposed to a slice of a slice? So it, it's interesting because when I stepped into this, I, I have that same opinion, quite honestly. So I actually was not fully supportive of those separate budgets in those certain cases. What I had to realize very quickly was in the roles that I had in the past is my job is to get the partner in the agency first, you know, whatever way that is. So if it comes through having a dedicated budget and that's the best opportunity, you know, let's go for it. What that what that means is that doesn't mean that it is only the dedicated budget. You may come in through that door, then you get exposure within the agency, you get exposure within the teams, and then you get introduced to the other clients, you know, to the other bands, and you build, you know, upon that. So I, I hear what our partners are saying because you don't want to just have the small funnel, you know, of of, of activity that's available, but sometimes that's the funnel that gets you in the door and that gets you that big piece of business. But then it's incumbent upon us to make sure we build upon that and expose, you know, these partners to other, to other, um, to other brands, to other clients, you know, to other divisions that can, that can work with that. As part of that, your work has been, you know, Dentsu, you all have this registry of minority owned media companies. You also have the Infronts, which, play on upfronts and new fronts and all the fronts, but a lot you know, of fronts. It sounds like you know presentations for minority owned media companies to be able to, you know, for Dentsu clients to figure out what the opportunities are for them. On the registry front, what's the process for these minority owned media companies to be part of that registry, but then also to, you know, ensure that their entries in the registry are properly updated. Yeah, so the industry, as you know, has grappled with the, the elusive list, you know, as we call it, you know, where everyone is building their different lists and their different capabilities. You know, we have a list that we're working with, you know, and we're partnering with an African-American owned firm, um, you know, in terms of validating ownership um, and validating certification. I actually work very closely with Angela Guzman, who heads our supplier diversity practice here um, at Dinsu because we have a lot of the same same goals, the same interests, you know, making sure that we're aligning um, with that as well. So it'll come through usually with through some sort of RFI process, you know, where they identify their ownership, what their composition is. We have a form that they fill out, you know, that lets us know what type of ownership they have. In some cases, people may have multiple ownerships, you know, you can be woman owned, you can be minority owned, you may be veteran owned. And so we keep track of that database, you know, internally. And then we distribute that, you know, throughout the agency on a monthly basis. So people have access to it because people need to be aware of who's out there. You know, I know for my old buying days, you kind of had your short list of who you normally worked with, you know, and who you always called. So it's very important that we make sure that our partners have the exposure of people knowing who they are, you know, who's out there and who's available. But the list itself doesn't do all the work. You know, I've heard about lists, you know, for the majority of the career, and it's never just as simple as putting a list together. You send it out, magically all this money appears, you know, and everybody goes home happy. It's one piece of a tool of many things that you have to do um, in order to drive progress and meaningful good in the space. I want to get to like what the other pieces are, but, you know, we mentioned inference. Can you kind of run through for me like what inference is? I, I kind of summarized it, but that was kind of me conjecturing based on just the use of the word fronts in there. 
Well, I know so much, you know, from the seat that I sit in, in fronts, but what we have, you know, with our multicultural partners, you know, we try to do a couple times a month is bring them in, you know, for a presentation and really open it up widely, you know, to as many team members and as many account teams as well. So people get familiar with the property, knows who's out there, what their capabilities are. And then out of that, try to figure out, okay, are there a couple clients that really make sense, you know, based on this presentation and then direct them to those respective teams to have further conversations, opportunities uh, to pitch proposals, do the evaluations, you know, and go, go from there. You know, we've seen in the industry, you know, that there have been, you know, black media upfronts and things like that, which I think are good to have. You know, people need to be made aware of who's out there um, and with that. And I think, you know, we may get to the point where that is just one potential big, you know, big upfront, you know, down the road um, where really those properties get you know, get the shine. Because even when I talk about specifically saying Black-owned media at times and people saying, well, are you, you know, why Black-owned media? Why, why not diverse-owned media? Sometimes Black gets lost in that conversation with diverse-owned. And given the past years, you know, of the recent movements, it's really important to keep our eye on that because that where that's where there has been some long-standing inequalities that are finally being addressed and that we need to put keep pushing forward on. But that doesn't, you know, mean that other segments, you know, aren't as relevant and aren't as important. But this is just one where it's just, you know, it's gotten swept under the rug too often. It's important that we keep that focus on them. Right. Absolutely. And with that, like, you know, Group M has the 2% pledge. Has Dentsu, you know, had clients make any commitments to commit a certain percentage of their annual budgets to whether it's black owned publishers or minority owned media companies in general? Yes, we do have clients. And what we found is, you know, all clients are just really at different points in this journey, you know, so some that have been more public, you know, are able to do more things. So we've really found that doing a tailored approach, you know, with each client, you know, so that it fits their business parameters and what they can do. And then building upon that has really been, has really been the best approach because we want something that's going to last and be sustainable and goals that we can continue to increase, you know, every, every year. So, you know, that's a little more time consuming, you know, I'll readily admit that, but we're really trying to play, you know, the longer game to make sure that all of this is really sustainable. Got it. And what about at the agency holding company level then where like you all can kind of make the aggregate commitment across clients and then it can be, you know, more flexible to the individual clients, what commitments they're able to make in a given year? Yeah, we're building on that. And that's actually where I'm working with uh, Angela Guzman on the supplier diversity side, because she sits at the holding company, not just across media, but across creative and all that. So the goal, I think, by 2025 is to have um, something like 15 percent, you know, just in terms of spend um, with uh, with a diverse owned supplier. So that's something from an agency side that we're also working at as well. Right. And then I imagine there's also like this hopefully won't be a 2025 challenge, but there's the 2022 challenge of there's this economic you know downturn, you know, we're in earnings season right now. And we're hearing from a lot of media companies and platforms about how they're seeing ad spending slow and some advertiser categories pull back. And um, our senior media reporter, Sarah Guaglione, talked to some black owned publishers about a month ago who were wary of Okay, if advertisers are pulling back, like how are we the low hanging fruit for them to pull back from? Um, just because that's often the case, especially you know, um, if you know some of that money is newer, it's kind of like first you know last dollar in, first dollar out type situation. What are you seeing, and what are you doing to ensure that like 
as advertisers are pulling back spending because you know they may have perfectly valid financial reasons for pulling back spending, but that it isn't having an outsized impact on multicultural media companies or minority-owned media companies. It's about making sure that that's prioritized and making sure that's crystal clear with the clients. You know, everyone is keeping track of obviously the economic downturn and what that may entail. But given that this is a group of vendors that have not historically been at the table, you know, and have struggled to get, you know, access and to get their fair share. So first in can't be first out, you know, and this is this is a long term thing, you know, because I've had some people ask, you know, is this is this a moment or is this a movement? You know, I said, no, this is a movement. This is going to stay. You know, this is now something that's really you're seeing all the resources, you know, as you've talked about with the other holding companies, the industry groups that have sunk into this, you know, this is here to stay. So it's really important that we and, you know, making sure we're telling our clients, you know, that this needs to stay at the forefront, you know, as much as possible. Obviously, when there are cuts, you know, sometimes they can't be avoided, but diverse cannot be the first, you know, cannot be the first thing on the chopping block. And we actually had a partner um, in 2020, you know, when COVID hit uh, and things, you know, really started to downturn. And so there were cuts, you know, with one particular client. And when they were speaking with that client next year, you know, they really articulated the impact of what that cut did and how much that really put things in jeopardy. And we have to realize that, you know, sometimes line items may be a number, you know, on flow charts and Excel sheets and things of that nature. But this can be the difference in certain cases between the lights staying on, being able to be built, being able to continue. So we have to be very sensitive to that and prioritize as much we can because we're going on an up trajectory and we don't want to uh, suspend that. Right. And that's also true when it comes to payment windows, which are a big part of money moving towards minority owned media companies is just, you know, at these media companies, given that they're smaller, as we've you know mentioned, can't necessarily afford to wait around for six months for an advertiser to finally make their payment. Um, you know, someone like the you know New York Times maybe can afford that. Um, Facebook, Google certainly, but you know some of these you know minority-owned publishers can't do that. And and but that's also a concern. Anytime there's an economic downturn is you have this kind of waterfall of advertisers want to you know delay payments to agencies or to ad tech, ad tech vendors and then they you know want to delay payments to the publishers. What is being done right now to you know not only you know more broadly ensure that these payment windows are being honored and not overextended but also that like particularly right now when there's more of a risk of payment windows being extended that that's not happening right now you know at dentsu we're very proud of our 30-day payment terms that we rolled out um last fall for minority-owned media i personally have experienced what a pain point that is for so many vendors uh because to your point you know a lot of companies don't have 30 60 90 days you know the reserves to float with that so we realized you know that was something that we could have a more immediate impact on uh in terms of making a change with that so our minority-owned media partners are under 30 days payment terms and we have a team that works really hard to make sure that we stick you know stick to that you know assuming correct invoice you know has arrived you know and things are cleared but we know how that affects cash flow we know how that affects access to credit um, and the importance of that and that's something that's been really well received because it is a stress point you know for a lot of partners and we want our partners working on their marketing plans you know we want them working on big ideas what's going to be next not if the check is going to come and the lights you 
know, are going to stay on. So that's something that we're very proud to have rolled out. And we hope to see the industry, you know, pick up on that as well, because it's really something that can have a much more immediate impact um, and really make the difference for our diverse owned companies. And to your point, you know, especially given, you know, a potential economic downturn, I'm going to still be optimistic and say, we're going to, you know, we're going to get out of this, but it's, even, so. yeah, but it's even more important that we stay on point with that and make sure that those partners get those payments in a timely manner. Because in some cases, uh, that affects the ability to put on events, to put on experiential, you know, it's important to have, it's important to have those dollars in a timely fashion. Right. And then, you know, hiring also, especially if, you know, making payroll becomes, you know, we've already seen some layoffs. There's, you know, uh, we're recording this the day after BuzzFeed's earnings call and they talked about, you know, needing to, you know, do some cost cutting, um, slowing hiring. And also it sounds like they're going to be selling some real estate. So, you know, BuzzFeed's going through it. I imagine every media company is going through it in some capacity. Um, Mark, I know you, you got to run because you're a very busy person. Before <laughs> I let you go, um, we're coming into, you know, budget planning season for 2023 for a lot of advertisers. I imagine this can be a really important time in terms of making sure there is budget for minority-owned media companies. What's yours, your team's role in terms of those budget planning discussions and how do you ensure that there is money you know, earmarked for these minority-owned media companies in 2023? No, that's an excellent question. And this this is the season. So this is really sitting down, you know, with the strategy groups now, figuring out what goals are, whether individual clients have specific goals, even if they don't have goals, you know, making sure that this is still part of the plans and that things are being considered, you know, at this time right now. Because as you know, it's harder to come in after the fact, you know, and fit something in versus laying down, you know. And, mo you know, many clients now, you know, have have targets, you know, that you're trying to reach these multi multicultural consumers. So it's really getting in, you know, pretty much after Labor Day, you know, when we start getting into that fall planning season, sitting down with the client leads, you know, sitting down with our clients as well, just to hear, you know, what their plans are, what they're trying to do, and then making sure that we have a roadmap, you know, where applicable, um, that we have these partners included uh, going forth in 2023. Because with a lot of the pledges and commitments that have been done, you know, over the last two years, now this is really about the year of results, and that's going to be continuing for to seeing, you know, what is being delivered. I don't imagine it's anything as crass as, okay, you, client, you're looking to spend X million dollars, you know, next year, let's, you know, carve off X percent for minority-owned media companies. I imagine it's more like, okay, if, you know, short-form video is a big priority or creators are a big priority, what are the, you know, creators or the minority-owned publishers that, you know, are best, you know, suited to that is that more of the idea or how does it like really manifest in those it, conversations it, it, it could be a combination of both there are hard goals particularly with clients that have supplier diversity goals where you know you are hitting a number it can also be we want to grow spaces in these areas or these channels so making sure that we're looking at diverse partners that exist you know within those spaces and also at times it is looking at the channel mix so for example if someone's heavy in social and search there's really it's very 
challenging to do anything. There's not a lot of ownership, you know, in those two spaces. So is there an opportunity to adjust the channel mix where we can go into other places where there are more diverse owned entities and publishers that we can take advantage of, you know, as well. And then also, you know, looking at what we can do in the programmatic space, you know, because that's another area um, that's been a challenge for a lot of folks. So figuring out what solutions, you know, we can make in that area um, and going forward. So again, you know, it really varies kind of on the client, you know, and how they lay and how they lay things out. But the important thing is that it always needs to be top of mind. It needs to be part of just the regular planning process. And that's what we have worked so hard to make sure that it's a part of. And as I work with Kara Lewis, you know, and the strategy teams as well, you know, making that this is just a normal part of how we do business. I think that's perfect note to end it on. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.